RC Davis here for Warriors.com with Len Elmore, college basketball analyst with both CBS and ESPN, former ABA player, former lawyer, kind of a renaissance man. How are you doing today, Len? I'm doing well. A little hot here on the East Coast, but uh, that's what we expect at this time of year. Got you on to talk about the draft. Um, everyone talks about the perceived lack of talent. Don't you kind of have to look at this in a vacuum? Well, yeah. I mean, look, every year you're going to make comparisons against who's going to be in the draft as opposed to past drafts. I mean, let's let's face it, you never know and can't really predict uh, success to a great extent um, from year to year. So you have to look at this draft, see how these players played against their peers and kind of project them uh, going forward against their peers in, in that particular year. So, you know, I, I guess the word vacuum probably is, is most apropos. You hear about a lot of teams want to trade their picks, but if everybody wants to trade their picks and what they're considering a lackluster draft, they have to find someone to draft with. They can't all trade. No, that, that's exactly true. And, and again, they, they may be scrambling around trying to find the right fit right now. When I hear teams want to trade, they're looking for guys that are going to fit their system as opposed to the, the best athlete. And, you know, in my mind, again, there are, there are so many intriguing picks that uh, ultimately could turn into solid players down the road and can fit in certain systems. But, you know, the way they are aligned here, at least uh, their rank, um, some of those players who might fit teams that are picking lower in the draft are up higher, and those teams would try to, you know, try to get into the mix with, with trade. So it, it could make some sense for a lot of teams to try to trade picks and try to trade future picks and players, you know, bundle uh, to try to get guys who would actually, you know, benefit their system. With no clear-cut superstar like we talked about, we've, like, tracked for years and saw coming down the pike, could could a lot of teams be, quote-unquote, swinging for the fences here and, and going for potential? I, I think most teams are going to be going for potential. There are very few, I think, ready players, guys who are going to have impact immediately. Um, you know, I look at players like um, C.J. McCollum. I look at Victor Oladipo, Otto Porter. These guys may, Anthony Bennett and, and certainly Macklemore, you know, these guys may, in fact, uh, provide help right away. Uh, but looking down the line, especially when you're talking about the bigs like Noel, like Alex Lynn, um, people like that, even Cody Zeller, these guys, you know, they're projecting them with development. They're projecting them to be uh, good players down the road, not exactly immediate impact players. And, you know, when you talk about a real stretch, a uh, young man, Stephen Adams, who I think has tremendous upside, but he's so inexperienced that, um, you know, I'm really shocked to see people talking about him in the first round, but somebody will take a chance on him, and if they can wait four years, he might turn out to be an outstanding player. But right now, he just doesn't have the tools um, from a, a skill standpoint to, to have immediate impact. He certainly has the athletic ability. You mentioned Stephen Adams, the uh, the uh, freshman out of Pitt. I think he uh, kind of rose up the board because he didn't really score much at Pitt, and then he gets to the combine, and wow, he's uh, knocking him down from 15. Anytime you have a big that can shoot, I guess that uh, gets the GM's attention, right? Yeah, but I, I, I'm an old school guy, and I'm still wondering why. I mean, you know, right. you've got six, ten, seven foot guys shooting threes, and, <laughs> or in in between. Um, you know, I'm old school and look for guys who can do stuff down in the block, down in the post. Certainly you want to stretch defenses. And even in this year's finals, we've seen uh, a lot of times having units out there that have no real center and they're looking to kind of spread the floor and stretch it out for the slashers. But, you know, I still think a guy that's 7 feet tall, 260 pounds, you know, certainly can do damage inside with higher percentage shots. And, you know, Stephen Adams, once he understands 
you know, how to get himself open, how to how to improve his hands. Um, that's the biggest weakness he had at Pittsburgh. Couldn't catch the ball very well, and you know, wasn't um, wasn't supreme in making moves inside the post. But those things can be developed, and I think if in fact he has time and the pro game will allow him to, he can develop into a pretty good big guy, and that 15-footer will just be a bonus. One of those big guys who does like to play down low is the big guy out of Bucknell, Muscala. Has a lot of post moves. Kind of reminds me of Kevin McHale. Shot over 75% at the combine. He's a guy that likes to stay down low. Yeah, I mean, and he's a guy that, uh, you know, the thing that's uh, simple from an improvement standpoint for him would be to kind of put on weight, get a little bit stronger. I mean, 6'11", at 230, I mean, he's not gigantic, uh, but certainly with the skill element, um, the ability to make moves inside, to draw fouls, uh, things of that nature, he's going to have to put on some weight to be really effective. But that's, that's the easy part. Um, the best part about him, again, is that he has sophistication down low, and those are the kind of guys that can come in and, and, and have some impact early. How much credence do you give uh, to what happens at the combine the, the the shuttle run the standing reach the the vertical leap this uh, ricky gobert out of france had a nine foot seven inch standing reach which is unreal is that something that you kind of pay attention to or don't give much credence to um you pay attention to it because it's, it's something that you can't develop you can't teach it's there and, and what it is is gives you a building block upon which you can, um, you know, develop some skills as he's a shot blocker, um, his ability to, you know, guard the, in the middle. Um, with that kind of reach, it should be easier for him to, to block shots. also easier for him to catch the ball in the post because you can get it up high enough that the opponents can't get to it. Um, the other things, the athleticism, that's essentially what these things are, are measuring. And, you know, once you find a guy has athleticism, that's, again, one of the building blocks, one of the foundations to developing a player. Now, you know, the other thing, and I think it's equally as important and sometimes even more important than athleticism, per se, is fundamentals. And, you know, that's harder to measure if a guy has, you know, supreme fundamentals, particularly inside. A guy, a big guy who can use his left hand, use his right hand, understands what a drop step is, knows how to get position. Or, you know, when you're on the outside, guys who can cross over without carrying the ball, guys who understand the one-dribble, two-dribble pull-up, um, guys who know how to drive to the basket uh, with that quick first step. You know, upon those things, you can build better players. And I think that uh, athleticism is one of those uh, foundations. A couple more questions here with Len Elmore, college basketball analyst with both CBS and ESPN. You hear about a thing that d- didn't happen much in your day, guys being promised things by teams or their agents and then not working out of the combine. The scenario keeps seeming to come up again. That didn't happen back in your day. No, um, we actually didn't have combines back in our right. day. Uh, a lot more scouting uh, was done at uh, postseason games and during the season. But, yeah, you know, I, I think that the business has, has gotten to the point now where you know, you, you need to inject some ethics in, in in the game. I mean, everybody looks at it and, and, and justifies, you know, promise breaking, et cetera, as well as just business. But you know, and oftentimes you have agents who can you know kind of stretch the truth a little bit to their clients. To, Absolutely, you know, kind of aggrandize them as well. So, I mean, the bottom line is that it, the, the person who is most affected is the one who has the least amount of information and is relying on an agent or relying on the truthfulness of a team, um, you know, to, to depend upon their future. And, you know, I think that it's a shame when, you know, the young man is, is the one that's victimized by, you know, the back and forth and, uh, you know, the unethical promises or lack thereof. 
uh, by teams when you know we're looking at, at their futures. The combines and other events like that are more three-on-three based and drills, whereas I think there was a Euro showcase over in Italy recently in Treviso, which was five-on-five, which had a lot of teams flock over there. Obviously, you can see something in five-on-five you can't see in three-on-three. Why are there less and less five-on-five drills? Is it just that agents want to protect their guys? I think it's a combination of agents protecting their guys, and I think it's also a combination of teams bringing guys in um, and you know, having some teams having an unfair advantage in, in being able to scout guys, and they want to, I guess, keep the numbers uh, pretty equal, keep them from scrimmaging um, in, in a, you know, almost in a tryout sense. Um, you know, I think that you can see a lot, even in three-on-three. And really, all these things should, if, if you have a scouting system that works, uh, none of these things should be definitive. They should just be confirming exactly what you thought before. Um, you know, it's a scouting throughout game after game that you're watching these kids. If this is the first time you've seen somebody and they essentially knock your knock your socks off, um, you've got a problem from a scouting standpoint. Um, you know, you should be able to confirm how good a player is, what they're able to do against certain sides, et cetera, et cetera, by these camps. I mean, they, they should be anticlimactic that during the season the, the scouting there should be essentially what you're depending upon. Uh, so, you know, I don't put a great deal of credence in those. I mean, certainly it's something for the scouts to do. It's homework. If one team is going to do it, then the rest of the teams have to do it. Otherwise, somebody's going to feel that somebody else has an advantage. But overall, as I say, these things should confirm as opposed to, um, you know, open your eyes as far as players are concerned. Would it be fair to say it's nearly impossible to hide your flaws in a 5-on-5 setting? Um, yeah, it should be. Um, but again, sometimes flaws are never tested. Right. And, you know, guys have a have a easier time um, playing their game, and if they're successful playing their game, I mean, other things with regard to flaws, you know, sometimes are obscured. Um, you know, if you're arranging the 5-on-5 five five and you have an, a good idea of, you know, what a player's strengths and weaknesses are, if you're arranging that, you ought to engineer um, being able to test uh, whether or not a guy's flaws are going to have great impact on his game overall. You know, I'm one that wants to accentuate the positive and, you know, essentially eliminate the negative. If you have a guy who's really strong at doing certain things, um, you know, if it's that strong, you want to put him in a position where, you know, those negatives aren't going to be tested if you're going to coach them in, in a game situation. But you certainly want to know what they are. Uh, I couldn't agree more. And like you said, if the scouts are doing their job, then a guy shouldn't really come out of nowhere, be it at the Combine or anywhere else. A player, for example, Kevin Foster here locally out of Santa Clara, you know, was thought of as a peripheral player, and then he went to Portsmouth and he blew up. Is that commonplace even for the guys that their entire job is to know about these guys? Um, I, I don't know if it's commonplace, but it has happened. Um, you know, you have seen guys who the system that they have played under in college and may not have accentuated the, the strength uh, of that individual, and now you have a, a less disciplined or, you know, even a less structured type of environment. And all of a sudden now this person starts showing skills that maybe his, uh, his college team kind of stifled a little bit. So, you know, while I would say that that's not uh, the commonplace uh, occurrence, uh, I still think that it certainly happens frequently enough. And then it's up to, you know, again, teams to evaluate those newfound strengths or newly seen strengths and see where they might fit. But, 
you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened for that, that very reason. You watch a ton of basketball games. You cover over 100 a year on television, and then that doesn't even include the games you watch on TV. Are there any names that we should keep our eye on, maybe late second or even undrafted guys that could pop up in the D-League and, and really benefit some teams? The Warriors last year had Kent Bazemore out of Old Dominion as a training camp summer-type invite, and now he's a integral part of the bench. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I think that guys who are – talked about as being undrafted. A guy like Eric Green from Virginia Tech who led the nation in scoring. Um, you know, he's projected to be a second-round player undrafted. You know, I, I just can't see a guy with that kind of scoring ability, uh, you know, not uh, latching on to a team down the road. Um, you know, I look at a, a kid like Nate Walters who may not be all that athletic in, in some ways, but certainly understands how to play the game. Another guy who's had impact in college but not projected to go uh, go high in the draft if drafted at all. And then uh, for me, a guy like Richard Howell, um, who averaged a double-double in the ACC, outstanding rebounder, um, weak side rebounder. Yeah, he might be 6'8", but he's a wide body, understands his role. And, you know, when people talk about uh, skills that project from college to the pros, the one that absolutely seems to be consistent is rebounding. And there's no way, shape, or form that you don't want a, a big, thick power forward that's uh, solely uh, a strong rebounder out there uh, providing extra opportunities, playing good defense down low. And I think guys like that may go undrafted, and they'll latch on to someone and eventually you know, have an opportunity to demonstrate their skills. How about some of the guys that are injured, like Anthony Bennett has a shoulder injury, former Terp, uh, you're a product of the University of Maryland, Len, he's got a an injured foot? Well, I mean, look, modern medical technology has demonstrated that you can have things as serious as, as uh, Nerland's Noel's injury and still come back uh, strong, if not stronger than you were before. So I think uh, depending upon the injury, certainly you want to be, um, you want to be careful um, as, as far as from a medical standpoint to see exactly what it is, understand exactly what that injury is, and understand the prospects of full recovery. But, you know, looking at the injuries that you said and of the guys that you just mentioned, I think full recovery is, is certainly um, in the offing for them. Um, you know, the guy, like I said, with the most serious injury would be Nerlens Noel, and, and people don't seem to be shying away from him one bit. So uh, the other guys, and I would say also C.J. McCollum, who came back from a serious foot injury as well, I think people recognize that they have the ability and in all probability will rehab to the point where they'll be as good, if not stronger, than they were before the injury. You brought up Nerland's Noel, 210 pounds or so. Is that too slight for the next level? Oh, yeah. I, it's playing a position that he's going to play, absolutely. Certainly he's a, he's a natural shot blocker and can man the middle. He's got that kind of reach and the size and, and athleticism. But when it comes to rebounding, when it comes to him being able to post people, I mean, he'll he'll get walked out of that lane <laughs> so quick, you know, it'll be like in a New York minute. And what he's going to have to do is not only develop some size and some strength, but also technique, uh, you know, being able to sit on the block, get low, um, be able to utilize uh, some things other than the size that he lacks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely got to put on some poundage, no question. Appreciate you coming on today, and we'd love to talk with you in the future. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. For Len Elmore, I'm R.C. Davis. Click and roll on Warriors.com throughout the draft process for all the draft coverage, including Tim Roy's mock draft, as we prepare for the 2013 NBA Draft.